All right, welcome to episode four of 1530, a tennis podcast. <clears throat> For our statistic of the day, we have 6%. That is the number of first serve points won that Tsitsipas, uh, the Greek, won against Rafael Nadal in the Rogers Cup final recently. Only 6%. Ended up losing in straight sets. Uh, by contrast, Nadal won 29% of his first serve points against Tsitsipas. Overall, Tsitsipas only won 40% of... Uh, second serve points and overall only 21% of return points. Pretty terrible number, especially if you're going to try to upset one of the all-time greats. Um, but on a positive note, Tsitsipas beat four top 10 players in one tournament in one week. So he beat Djokovic, uh, Dominic Team, Kevin Anderson, um, and almost Nadal Huth. I can't remember who the fourth player was, but he, he had a great week. <laughs> upset Djokovic, but he couldn't quite get it done. Um, so there you go. There's the statistic of the day. Any any comments on that match, Matt, with Tsitsipas and Nadal? Uh, it was a f really fun match to watch. Um, Nadal was hitting the ball really well. Uh, it's good to see him in such good form on hard court. Hopefully his knees hold up for the U.S. Open and through to the end of the year. Um, the thought that I do have... Sissipas had some rough, some rough times in uh, in that final, but I think uh, a little bit of it at least can be chalked up to the fatigue that he felt taking out four top ten players. Like you said, is quite the feat, uh, and a lot of them were long, intense, grueling, emotional matches. So I think he was a little bit gassed by the end of it. Um, so I think Nadal was able to capitalize on that a little bit. Um, as I watched the the match, he had a spark of the of how he played in the beginning of the week in the second set, and really came alive. I think he broke Nadal. I think he broke him back to make it even again, um, but was hitting the ball really clean. Uh, luckily, Nadal was able to fin that off and finish out the match in a tiebreak. But um, definitely an incredible incredible tournament from the Greek. Hopefully, hopefully he's able to keep that up and we can see more good things out of it. Yeah, yeah, he's such a fun player to watch and we were talking about him last time as he has the tools and he has the game to beat the top guys and what did he do? He went ahead and he beat four top 10 players. The other player I was missing in my mind was Alexander Zverev who just sure. uh, defended his uh, Washington title. And so, again, like you're saying, I think fatigue was a factor. Every one of his matches had a tiebreak in it, I believe, 7-6. Um, and some of them were three setters, long, tight, tight matches. Um, it's like you're saying. So couldn't quite get it done against Nadal, but still a very good result nonetheless. Um, and this made me think about um, just overall statistically, or I guess in your form of tennis, what does it take to be in the top top 10 in the ATP World Tennis? I know that's, besides being number one in the world, that's a goal that a lot of players have is to make be in the top 10. I think overall... Takes that consistency. All the top players, all the players in the top 100 have weapons. They have serves. But you need to figure out your best combination, your best patterns of play. I looked throughout the statistics to see, okay, is it a certain first serve percentage, second serve percentage, or return game? Is there some commonality to the guys in the top 10? And there really wasn't a commonality except for that they were good with what they had. If you were an Isner or an Anderson type or Del Potro, you have a very strong serve. You're able to win those, those easy first serve points. Uh, maybe on the return game, you're not as strong, but if you're Nadal or Djokovic, Murray, you have a better return game, and that's where you win a lot of points by grinding down the opponent. So fortunately, at this 
this point, I haven't been able to find a good statistical, I guess, playbook for the for the top 10. But we just all know that the top 10, they're able to come up with that timely ace when they need it. They're able to, even if they're maybe struggling with their level because we all kind of have ups and, ups and downs during the match, they're able to know when to go for it, when to maybe wait for your opponent to make a mistake. And yeah, they're just able to improvise and come up with the big shots that they need to. So the two under pressure statistics that we have right now in the game are the break points, uh, opportunities you have to convert them and also save them on your own serve. And also, what are you going to do on your second serve? On your own second serve, are you going to go big or are you going to try to defend that? And on on your opponent's second serve, are you going to be able to go big on the return? And so, yeah, maybe that'll be more to come. But just trying to figure out what does it take to be in the top ten since they're such an elite group, um, the level of tennis that's being played. But any any thoughts on Cincinnati? Obviously, we had Rogers Cup, that big lead up, Nadal dominated that, and then we had Cincinnati where Djokovic was able to win. Any thoughts on that Cincinnati matchup? Cincinnati, I thought was interesting. Uh, first and foremost, I was disappointed that Novak took the took the tournament. <laughs> um, but no, Novak's a great player. I think he's he's incredible. I think that's why I hate him so much is that he's too good. But um, I think going back to the intangibles that the top ten has, Fed was not playing with those intangibles, and uh, he was playing top ten player. And when you don't have those. And you're not playing as consistent as you usually do. It's going to be tough to win a match. Um, and I'm sure you have some statistics that you can dive into to back that up. But exactly, uh, I totally agree. So he his serving his serving day wasn't his best, but still would have been good enough on a normal day to win. He still had 11 aces, served his first serve percentage was 58%, not terrible. He won 67% first serve points, but only 47% second serve points. So again, not numbers that would kill you, but the break points, that's where he got got hit. Three of six, um, Djokovic converted three of six break points. And I think a lot of that was just because Federer wasn't putting pressure on the Djokovic serve. The big numbers were, you'll see a big disparity were his return game numbers. So he only returned, he only won 29% first serve, uh, first serve returns. And on second serve, it's even more, more dismal. It's only 22%. So if you, I went, I looked up the numbers. So Federer and all of Masters 1000s for throughout his career, he won, first of all, 32% for serve return points. So he's down, um, let's guess it's only down 3%, but the second serve return points, he was down to 50, he usually wins 51%. So way, way below that number at 22%. He was missing very easy, makeable balls. And I think I was just seeing a little bit of fatigue a little bit in his movement and his legs and maybe even mentally. Um, I know he had to play a couple matches in the same day due to rain delays in Cincinnati. He had a really tough match against Stan Vavrinka. Uh, even David Goffin, who retired early, there was still a tough tie break. So I don't know if we're seeing a little bit of fatigue for Roger at the, toward the end of the year, but like you're saying, it showed against Djokovic. It became a routine match, 6-4, 6-4. He broke Djokovic actually at the start of the second set, but then Djokovic broke right back and was able to assert his dominance and win his his first Masters 1000 at Cincinnati and complete that that complete uh, resume for his Masters 1000. That's a very uh, great result. No other player has done that. Federer is missing Monte Carlo in Rome, the two clay court, two of the clay court Masters 1000s. Nadal's still missing a few of the hard court. He's missing Shanghai, Percy, uh, uh, or Bercy, sorry. That's, that's the one in Paris indoors. And he's missing Miami on hard court. So Djokovic to win that, to finally overcome that hump, I know he'd lost a lot of finals in the past to, to Federer and to Murray, 
but he did it, and he's definitely has some momentum in heading into the U.S. Open as well as Nadal winning the Rogers Cup. They certainly do. I think uh, going back to the fatigue factor, the head faced. I think you're right, and I think uh, that's concerning to me, considering his age. It concerns me that maybe Father Time is catching up to him. Hopefully, he can maintain the level of play that he has as he's gotten older. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see these. The tennis season is long and grueling, and even with the time that the tournaments that Fed has started taking off, you see they take breaks and in order to kind of maintain themselves. It'll be interesting to see how involved he can stay throughout the, the seasons as it goes forward. Yeah. And how competitive he can remain. Right. And I, I do see a parallel with last year as well. I mean, Fed was able to start strong and win the Australian Open both years, uh, do pretty well at the hard courts. Uh, he did, wasn't able to win Indian Wells in Miami like last year, but he made the Indian Wells final. Obviously, Wimbledon was a big disappointment for him this year, but the hard courts last year, he struggled pretty mightily as well. He had a back injury he struggled with. In the U.S. Open, he had several five-setters against players he had never dropped sets to before. So, like you're saying, he's looking very similar to last year. Fatigue, maybe just a little bit not quite there against Del Potro. He was missing some very easy volleys. Now he complained that it wasn't all physical. There was just mentally he just kind of wasn't there. And so, like I said, I, I don't know if that's a pattern. With the last slam of the year, it's hard to stay. Uh, both mentally and physically at the top of the game. But we've had a different slam winner uh, for each of the the slams this year. Federer started the year with the Australian, Nadal with the French, Djokovic with the uh, Wimbledon. And now are we going to see a different slam winner here at the U.S. Open? Or are we going to see maybe Nadal or Djokovic put their stranglehold on 2018? It'll be interesting to see. But another thing to note that the U.S. Open, no one's defended their title, the U.S. Open, in 10 years. So Federer defended... Um, and he won it five years in a row up through 2008. We know Joker or uh, Del Potro, excuse me, dethroned him in 2009 in the final. And after that, it's been a different man uh, winning every year. So I don't know if is uh, is Nadal going to be a able to defend his title. It'll be it'll be interesting to find out. But so was the U.S. Open. Any any uh, good interesting insights on the U.S. Open or on some of the matches that we're looking forward to seeing? Um, certainly. Uh, I took a second and looked at the first round matchups between or that Rafa had and uh, Fed had. Found some interesting things. First off, Nadal's facing Fer Ferrer, excuse me, in the first that uh, first round. Who uh, is an extremely competitive player. He's getting older and hasn't won a slam, sure, but he's always in the conversation. He's a, a fantastic player, really, and so this will be an interesting matchup. Uh, especially for it being a first-round matchup. Um, you would think that Rafa being the one seed would maybe get a, an easier route, a qualifier or something of that nature, but instead he uh, he gets stuck with Ferrer. Fed, on the other hand, gets um, an upcoming Japanese player, Nishioka, who they haven't faced off, faced each other, but Fed actually has a better chance of winning this match than Rafa has against Ferrer, which I say that and the the percentages is like Fed has a 96.8% chance to beat Nishioka and Rafa has a 94.4%. So two percentage, I mean, they're still in the high mid to high 90, 90 percentile, but 
nonetheless, Ferrer is certainly competition and things to be worried about. He also has a higher ELO rating than Nishioka, so you see that the tournament might go off ATP ratings and place these players, whereas if they were to go by an ELO rating, that inputs a little bit more into the algorithm. The matchups might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Ferrer is a little bit higher ranked in that aspect, and so provides some intrigue. Right. Because like you're saying, on ELO rankings, both of those players are inside the top 100, I think with 70-something um, or, or whatnot. But we're used to seeing a lot of the a lot of the first-round matchups for the top guys be maybe qualifiers, like you're saying, maybe outside the top 100, 150. But these guys, like you're saying, they both get a little bit of a test right in the first round, someone that's inside the top 100 or should be based on their, based on their statistical rankings. So that's very interesting. And for the tournament in general... Um, UltimateTennisStatistics.com has Nadal as the favorite for the U.S. Open at 32%. To defend his title, they have Roger Federer surprisingly up at 25% despite his recent form. I think it's mainly because their algorithms go based on ELO as well. They have Djokovic at 17% chance to win the title with Del Potro as the fourth favorite at 9%. So I'd probably maybe shuffle uh, Novak and Roger. I think for me, Roger or uh, Novak and Rafa are kind of a toss-up, both kind of co-favorites since they both split the opening uh, uh, Masters events. So usually the winner is one of the ones that we see in the Rogers, either the Rogers Cup or Cincinnati. And since they each split them, who knows what we're going to see. Um, it'll be very interesting. I uh, just wanted to put a plug in for our lucky loser, Peter Polanski. He's a Canadian. Pretty interesting. He just set the record for the first man to become a lucky loser in four Grand Slams in a row. So he has the calendar year grand slam lucky loser so what that means just so you're aware lucky loser to become a lucky loser you have to only win exactly two matches at every grand slam qualifying event so he's not quite good enough to make the main draw so he has to qualify but he does he's not quite good and also not quite good enough to win all his matches for qualifying so he only wins two matches but he's able to make the main draw because some people uh in the main draw retire or withdraw excuse me before the round starts and so Pretty interesting that he's able to do this four times in a row. You have to be one of the top four players and one of those four players not to make the qualifying. And so he had a one in four chance each and every time. So one in four chance to the fourth power, that's only, uh, or yeah, that's only like less than 1% chance that he would have been able to do this to to get into four main draws in a row. And so pretty incredible that he did that, set the record. Um, a little bit of the ultimate lucky loser, though, because each of the slams, he hasn't won a match um, in the first round. Because if he had won a match, maybe his ranking would be good enough that he wouldn't have to qualify again. But we'll see if he's able to win a match this year, if he can keep up his his streak of luck. But good luck to Peter Polanski, the ultimate lucky loser. Yeah, maybe he, maybe he just plans that. He's like, well, I can't win the first round. I'm having better luck <laughs> in, the, in the draw than I am in the actual tournament. Yeah. Very, very lucky. Um, let's see. As far as matches, you already mentioned uh, two of the first-round matches. The first-round match I'm looking forward to is the Stan Wawrinka grigor Dimitrov matchup. Um, that's going to be good because Dimitrov is obviously seated. Stan is given a wild card. He's un- unseated, and that's a little bit of an unfair match to uh, Dimitrov. I wouldn't want to be either player right now in that situation. But Dimitrov and Stan, they faced each other the first round of Wimbledon. And Stan the man took it in four sets. And he plays a little bit arguably better here at the U.S. Open. 
He's the he's the champion from 2016. Plays a little bit better than Grass. He he actually had a pretty good week um, going into Cincinnati and Rogers Cup. I think he's finally starting to play that 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 tennis that he's used to. His stroke. I think he's finding his game. So it's a little bit scary for that half of the draw there. Um, Djokovic and Federer got in the same quarter. That's very difficult. Uh, for those guys, Federer could see Kyrgios in the second round. Um, that's a little bit scary for him. Obviously, Djokovic in the quarters. Um, what other matches are there that are good? Murray could meet Del Potro in the um, the round of 64. So that's another, another great popcorn match. Um, who else do we have? We have Nishikori and Zverev. That could be another interesting one. That's a round of 16. Uh Zverev, he's one that's he's definitely underperformed. We've had a podcast in the past about that in slams and maybe overperformed at majors. He now has Yvonne Lendl, Murray's old coach. So we'll see if having the super coach will help him now. His best result is this year at slams. He made the quarterfinals of the French Open. But again, that was one where he had to win a couple five setters in a row after being down. So we'll see if he can go, if he can lead from the get-go, how well he can do. Um, maybe even upset Nishikori, who knows. Um, CT Pass could face Del Potro in the round of 16. So yeah, there's a lot of good matchups. This is the first slam since 2015 where all four members of the Big Four, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Djokovic, and Andy Murray are playing at the same major. So there's going to be some good matches. We can almost guarantee it. The question will be who's going to upset, which of the young guns are we going to see move forward? Any any thoughts, Matt, on who we might see? You know, playing well. this is not somebody that uh, we've talked about, but I keep waiting for Goffin to to really break out. Um, let me get his first name. I can't think. Uh, of his first name. David, David. David Goffin. Yeah. Yeah, David. David Goffin. He's a Belgian. Um, he in recent, recently, recent years, I guess, in the past year now, has had a couple of freak accidents that have kept him from really rising to, I think his best play, but when he is healthy, healthy and has had a little bit of time to get back into the groove of things, he is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, hits the ball super clean, very, very well. And so I'm just calling it now. There's going to be a tournament somewhere soon where D David Goffin is going to break out and he's going to go crazy on everybody. I don't know if it'll be U.S. Open. Yeah. But uh, he has a pretty clean route. Um, he might face Chilich, I think, in the round of 16. Ooh, that would be a good but, bet. It, right, and absolutely it would be. It would be very good. Um, and Chilich, according to Ultimate Tennis Stats, has a 58.7% chance of winning that matchup compared to Goffin's 41.3. Um, but that's one that could go either way, and if he, could, if he can get past that, he can go even deeper. So yeah. I, think, uh, I think that's somebody to keep an eye on that uh, could, could throw some interesting upsets into the tournament. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the U.S. Open is one in the past where we've seen people kind of come from nowhere. Chilich have that amazing serving clinic, able to beat Federer in the semis and beat Nishikori in the final. Um, Del, Del Potro right hit everyone off the court, Federer and Nadal, and win the final. So I don't know. U.S. Open kind of kind of can produce some dark horses. So we'll be watching for any of the young guns, Tsitsipas, Vera, but also some of the old guys, like you're saying, maybe a Stan or a Gafan or a Chilich, maybe coming through. We'll it'll be interesting to see. So 
Hopefully we get to enjoy some excellent U.S. Open tennis. And then looking forward to looking ahead, we might have a, a guest speaker come on talking about the Pythagorean wind theorem. So they have one for baseball, but applying it to tennis. So we might have you having a guest speaker um, pretty soon. But until then, enjoy some good U.S. Open matchups. We have some great matches this week. And until then, we'll see you on the court.